Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. And I wanted to mention that if you would like to connect with me directly, you can always do so at MarilynBarefoot.com or BreakingBrave.show. I see and answer every single contact personally, and I would truly love to hear from you. Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. Anthony Coppage has a deep background of over 25 years in sales, marketing, and operations. He has a huge job at IBM, but that's not the focus of our conversation. Today, we talk about Anthony's belief that every single person has the opportunity to choose how they face, work through, and operate after the pain of loss, mistakes, and unjust situations. Anthony had a mentally, physically, and emotionally abusive upbringing. I will mention the trigger warning here. We talk about what happened to him and also what happened to me when we were kids. When you're abused, you are told lies about yourself because people want to control you. The lies you believed become the actions that you live out. Anthony has spent years and years replacing the lies he was told with truth. Because if you change your mind about what you believe, then your behaviors will follow. Please welcome the very brave Anthony Coppage. The greatest thing about hosting a podcast is the incredible people that you meet. And sometimes you don't even get a chance to meet them in person, but you know that there's just something There is some connective energy between the two of you. And so today, I am thrilled to introduce you to Anthony Coppage. And Anthony and I have never actually met in person, but there is a huge amount of connective energy. And we're going to talk about a lot of that today. So welcome, Anthony. And I'll ask you to introduce yourself because you'll do it way better than I will do it. (laughs) Marilyn, you're so sweet. So my name is Anthony Coppage. I am the guy she's talking about. And you're right. The ability to connect with people is probably the best part of podcasting. But we got connected by someone else. And it was one of those fortuitous things where, you know, I love in-person face-to-face meetings. But when you get that moment where you just connect with someone, it's what I call relational proxy proximity, not physical proximity. So the relational proximity was there, regardless of the physical proximity being missing. And I love that because it's, we've made really like just strides in in developing our friendship in a short time because of our willingness to share vulnerably and transparently with each other to understand each other. So we both are curious about the other person and that just leads to a richness of conversation. So what I do and the, the job that I'm, I'm involved with as I work for IBM and, and my job in our tech space is to work with the digital sales organization. And in that, I'm helping transition us from the way traditional sales have been into what we call a business agility model, which is a responsive, iterative, client-focused, people-oriented sales process and sales motion and sales centers so that our teams get the benefit of sharing and learning together rather than just the individual performer and quotas, right? And this spans way beyond the sellers themselves. This is the ecosystem, our business partners. This is working with marketing and the brand leaders. So it's a unique global role for me across 13 sales centers, uh, across all of our 
uh, our reach worldwide. And it's just been a privilege to introduce these concepts uh, to to talk about the way we could be different and how we can the way we do things can lead to far better outcomes instead of just more outputs. And all of this really is uh, has been an interesting three year so far journey of discovering how do we take the legacy of an enterprise corporation and build on that, but also have a future forward look that takes into account where the world's going and where it's gone, not just the history that we have that we can point to with pride, but also how do we move forward. And and in my role, I've just had the privilege of working with sales, marketing, product, operations, finance, um, think pretty much everything, CIO's office. So it's been neat to have a, a kind of a wide reach inside IBM. I'm just really glad to be able to serve people in my span of care. So in a nutshell, that's me. That's a big nutshell. That's fantastic. (laughs) I mean, IBM, to me, as the average consumer, is way up there on a pedestal about do it like IBM because they do everything perfectly. So are they open, interested in this sort of new approach, agile approach that you're bringing? Yeah, so... Agile has a lot of uh, loaded meaning behind it. So I I hear people say that word, and sometimes it means 20 different things. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to bring is, can we be responsive instead of just reactive to the market? Can we put the client value ahead of the value for IBM? Can we think about how do our systems and processes enable and empower people to bring their best to think? One of our big core tenants is to think, to think about not what could we just optimize. We do a lot of that. But what could we innovate in? And so IBM has been a, a big legacy company. And uh, you know, that most of the financial transactions on the internet still run on supercomputers, most of them IBM. So there's a long legacy of older tech, but the newer things like quantum, AI, and machine learning, uh, hybrid cloud, these are things that IBM is still driving forward with. There's just a lot more competition in that space than when IBM started. So that's the difference. And so there's some companies that in some ways are ahead of us in areas. And we can look to some of that and go, that's really awesome. What's their take? And we learn from that. But we have to be true. And every organization needs us to be true to their DNA, right? So you can express your DNA in many, many ways. But to come to a place where you transform, the transformation using this business agility is much akin to a a caterpillar to a butterfly, Marilyn. So the butterfly is not an optimized caterpillar, right? You don't just stick a couple of wings on a caterpillar and say, you're a butterfly. There is a chemical transformation that happens in a cocoon in in the metamorphosis state and the chrysalis where it becomes from one version of itself into an entirely new and intentionally different version of itself. It emerges not the same, not optimized, but completely different. But it still has the same DNA. Why? Because it's still the same organism. It's just a new expression of an old thing. I love this. Well, that's how every organization should be. And and as humans, I want to be a new expression of an old thing. Who I was 20 years ago, I'm not proud of. I don't really like who I was. I had a lot of baggage. I had a lot of uh, childhood trauma. I had a lot of things unresolved. I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of therapy. So the metamorphosis of my life looked like work, and it usually does. So none of this is free. There's a cost. We just don't get to hide away in a cocoon for some time and then emerge better. Uh, that, that process is reserved for the butterfly. But the principle of retain the DNA, the essence but express it in a wholly new, intentionally different way that doesn't resemble the past. That's what I'm bringing. And that's what, as IBMers, 
we're trying to think about as we move forward is what is our butterfly expression rather than the caterpillar we were known for. Your team, Anthony, must love you. I've been looking for a boss like you my entire life. That vision, that, that energy, that difference of leading like that, as opposed to you will do as I say, your team must love you. Um, I would say that I've been received well and my checkpoints and the feedback that I get is largely very positive. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that, but I'm not for everybody, right? There's people that would prefer, um, tell me what to do, you know, just tell me what to do. I'm not really great for those people yeah. because I would rather say, um, but if I tell you, I know I'm precisely wrong, not because I'm not good at what I do, but because I'm not you yeah. and I will never be you. So how do you want to bring yourself to this opportunity, this challenge, this problem, this role? And I just want to have people in my span of care, not my span of control, my span of care, who I'm, I'm more interested in who they are and how they're doing than in what they're doing. Because I'm, I'm an outcome-focused guy, not an output-focused guy. So I don't look at the thing and go, Marilyn, well, tell me about the six things you got done this week. <laughs> I don't care. What I do care about is, of the things you got done, do you feel that those were high value and aligned to our mission and our vision? Do you feel they were just good and maybe we should improve them or change them? Or do you think they were low value and we should potentially not do that again? And I ask people this very question. So we have systems and processes that helps visualize that at scale across teams. And we ask them those. So then we do a proxy measurement of all the work that was done across all teams. What percentage of it was labeled high value, good value, low value? And if we have a a percentage of low value that continues to not dwindle down, we we have a, an opportunity as leaders to say, how can we help remove that? What's in the way? Why is it low value? What's causing that? I don't need to have better answers. I need to ask better questions. Hmm. And so what I want to do is make it psychologically safe for people to know that I'm not here to impose my will on them. I am here to say, if we're aiming for this destination, rather than giving you turn-by-turn instructions and telling you do not deviate from this path and do it this this way, I say, hey, here's the destination. Here's what I need you to be there by. Here's a GPS. Let me know how it goes. Up to and including when you get there and you come back and report, you you can say, I don't think we should go there again. Even though that was my goal was for them to go there. Because I want their feedback of the journey of the experience with the data that they have, right? Both quantitative and qualitative. I want them to tell me what they really think. Here's a hypothetical, Marilyn, and then we could switch however you want. But if I were to say, Marilyn, I want you to go to uh, Chicago from, I live in Dallas-Fort Worth. So if I want you to go to Chicago by Friday, say you're here with me, and I want you to go there by Friday, make sure you meet a couple of these big clients and and let's find out about opportunity for what we're doing with AI, you know? And so this is your area, you know, this stuff. I want you to go figure that out. In the past, traditional management would generally say, I need you to go do this. I need you to stop by here. I need you to make sure you don't spend more than this. I need you to get, you know, take your car. We'll reimburse you, whatever. It was so specific. I would use the language that was a prescriptive way to manage people. You just you prescribed the steps, the process, everything. I choose descriptive. So Marilyn, you know that by Friday we need to be in front of a couple of these clients. We promised them we're going to be there. So when you get there, make, make sure we're asking these kind of questions. And, and I trust you to, to lead that in conversation however it needs to go. But we want to find out. Here's, here's, the, here's the outcome we're looking for. On that journey and on that trip, tell me what you discover. So come back and tell me not only about the client visits, but tell me about what it was like on the trip. What'd you learn? 
And then you come back and you say, Anthony, so let me tell you, we we got to Chicago. We did it with the clients. It went fairly well. There's this one opportunity over here, but let me tell you the exciting thing. Due to a massive set of weather and pileups and all that, we ended up being routed so far around that we go, we went through Kansas City. And it was so out of the way, but the most amazing thing happened. We happened to stop at this place in downtown and there was a lunch opportunity. So we sat down and it turned out we're in a tech sector and we didn't even know it. And there's people in there talking about AI. We were just listening. And so we're, we're having our lunch and having some drinks and we're talking to people. And it's like, so tell me about your thing. What are you, what are you guys interested in? And it turns out that there's this whole amazing opportunity that we didn't even know about there. But it's such a ripe environment for us. And it seems like they were very interested in what we have to say. We actually want to go back to Kansas City, not Chicago. As a leader, I need to say more than the goal with Chicago. I need to say, what do you as the expert closest to the opportunity, closest to the problem, need to tell me so that I can change my goals and my strategies based on your feedback and your insight and what the market's telling you, et cetera? To adjust even the goal. Maybe I had a good goal, but maybe it's not the best goal. I don't need to say at the end of the quarter how many times we go to Chicago. Because the reason we're going to Chicago, right, is to make sure we retain business and grow new business. So what's the outcome? Grow business, retain business. Do I care where it comes from or how that works? Not really. Right? And if you found an opportunity, great for you. So go do that. I don't want to tell people what to do. I want to support them and ask them to tell me what they need me to do to support them. That's the shift. You see, you are the boss I've been looking for my entire life. No, I happen to love (laughs) Chicago. I do too. And I think that when people are like, go to the airport, park in the cheap lot, walk to the terminal, make sure it's Terminal 1, fly with American Airlines, no other airline, sit in economy, you, you know they don't trust you, they don't have faith in you, they don't believe in your brain because they feel they have to prescribe every single step of your trip. Yeah. Trust is that the is the opposite of fear, by the way. So if you have lack of trust, I guarantee fear is present. Right? Because there's a fear you're going to make a mistake, fear something's not going to go well, and they're looking at covering their butt, right? The CYA comes out. Or they believe they have the way, they're the expert, and you don't deviate from their plan. Right. Um, in both those scenarios, that's not a healthy point of view. No. So should I believe in you? To me, it's so obvious. Why would I hire you if I didn't trust you? Right. Why would I hire if I didn't? And trust is earned, right? But but I believe that you're going to do the right thing. I'm going to train you to do the right thing. We're going to give you the resources to do the right things. But ultimately, you got to do it. I can't do it for you. If I'm hiring someone and I'm questioning if I can trust them, I have a problem with my hiring process. I have hiring. I have a culture issue, and or I have a problem with myself. Yeah. And in any case, I've got to look at those things because it's unfair to bring a high performer like Marilyn in and then constrain her so much and say, hey, listen, I know you're great, but uh, we're going to need you to do it our way. <laughs> no, yeah. I want you to go be the best version of Marilyn. And I want you to figure out how to be a great active listener and understand the opportunities. Now that's sales. Take it inside. Hey, I want you to work with this team over here. Hey, we need to understand how we do a better job with finance and operations. Can you can you identify what's causing the, the challenges? Can we map out that? And Marilyn, I need to figure this out quickly because we, we're we're having this issue over here. It's costing us money. Yeah. So 
by Friday, could you could you get to the root of why you think that is? Even if it's not the answer, I just need you to come give me an, an overall assessment. And so figure out who you need to talk to. I'll make introductions if you like, but but I know that you're really good with people. This is the starting points I'm aware of. See what you can find. See, because I already believe I hired you because you're good. And if I didn't train you or we didn't give you the resources, that's on me. That's not on you. And you get to say that to me. You get to say, Anthony, um, so I went and followed up with this, but I really wasn't sure about the scope. And I was afraid to talk to you because I thought you were like, uh, you told me what to do. And I, you know, you gave me a direction and I was afraid to say, I didn't know. And I would say, well, never be afraid to say you don't know. I mean, no, I don't know is a great statement when it's followed up with, but I'll find out. And so I just want you to feel comfortable coming to me. I don't just have an open door policy. I have an open me policy. So come talk to me and let's get to know each other because I am always interested more in what you do, more in who you are than in what you do. And and in fact, for our one-on-ones, Marilyn, just so you know, how a one-on-one goes is I'm going to give you an agenda ahead of time because I'm going to set the meeting, but the meeting is really for you. So if there's any changes to that agenda, you're going to know about it and you're not going to be surprised in the meeting. You're going to know about it ahead of time. So when you come to the meeting, I'm going to do this. Hey, Marilyn, it's good to see you. Uh, as you know, these are the two topics we have for today. I want to cover these two things. But before we do, let me just take all that off to the side. And I do my hands like this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm motioning from this thing in my hand in front of us. Mm-hmm. And I push it to the side mm-hmm. with my hands. And I say, and, and tell me, how are you? How's life treating you? Because I'm, I really want to hear about you. Let's, let's get caught up on life. Let's talk about you. And I want you to feel like anything's on the table that you feel comfortable sharing, knowing I'm going to hold it in confidence. Now, I have to earn that, but, I, but I'm going to promise you that you're going to get that. And then I will say, because this meeting's for you. So if we don't get to my things, we can reschedule that. I'm not worried about that because this time's really for you. I right? can say absolutely categorically in the bazillion years that I've been in business working for somebody, no one ever conducted a meeting like that with me, ever. In fact, if you got a chance to say two words, you were lucky. I'm really sorry to hear that. <laughs> Not your fault, because I wasn't working for you. And if I'd found you, I would have been. <laughs> I would love to chat about something you mentioned. And I am going to be as open and vulnerable. And in the podcast that we have, I have recorded and released, I have never brought this up. I saved it for for you and I to perhaps talk about. Okay. You mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, before we started the trip to Chicago, um, childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you're comfortable in diving into that, specifically how it has shaped you, formed your life as it is now, perhaps. I'm 100% open to that, Marilyn. Thank you. Whatever, you know, I'm happy because I don't want my pain to be wasted. I want my pain to be useful for someone else, yeah. right? And, and I'm past my pain. I'm healed, right? It doesn't make it okay, but I'm okay now. And and I'm happy to tell things in a way that offers health and hope and um, and honesty for others to realize that if they've been through similar things, or, or even if their story is different, that there's a there's a truth that transcends that and that we they can they can latch onto that and get their own health and healing and hope. So that's always on the table for me. So yes, let's dive in. First of all, I share your background. I was physically, mentally, and emotionally abused by my mother. And doing my research about you, even though we've talked over Zoom a number of times, 
there's something that I put on my wall, which, which you said, which is when you're abused, you are told lies about yourself because people want to control you. And I have to say to you, that statement may have changed the rest of my life because I never thought about it as being told a lie from a parent because you always just immediately, that's what kids do, is that you trust the parent and what they're telling you is true. The lies you believed become the actions that you lived out. A hundred percent happened to me. A hundred percent. My entire life, I was told by my mother that I was stupid. The physical abuse, the physical abuse would be, you are so stupid, I'm going to have to beat some sense into you. And she would literally beat my head against the wall. It was easier to beat my head against the wall because other marks on me like knees or parts of my body might be visible to my dad when he came home. The head wouldn't be because I had long hair. I believed (laughs) my entire life that she was right, that I was stupid, that I was never going to make it in the world because I didn't have what it takes. I was stupid. And when I read this, that you said, when you're abused, you're told lies about yourself because people want to control you. Of course she did. But I didn't. I never thought of it that way. So there's there's me. Were you told lies too, Anthony? I was, but before I go into that, let me just, you're not stupid. And I know you know that now, right? It was never about you being stupid. It was about you not leading, meeting up to whatever expectation she had on a child mm-hmm. that was unreasonable to place on a child yeah. because it was her own expectation that she couldn't fulfill in some way, right? It was, people, that's called transference. They will transfer the thing that they have onto their children. This is very normal. And normally it's not that bad, <laughs> but in situations like this, it's very harmful. Yeah. And and I'm really sorry. It, it's it's not okay that that happened to you. And I'm really sorry that you went through that. Thank you. Because it was a lie. The truth is that you're actually like as my friends in Boston would say, wicked smart. Yeah, you're <laughs> wicked smart, right? You're you are very bright and your accomplishments and your career just look to ask anybody who's worked with you. Look at your LinkedIn like yeah, she's got her stuff together. She knows what she's doing. She's been quite successful. And that's just on the career side. But you're always a reflection of who you are, period. At work, it's just a reflection of your yourself. You can't hide it, right? You can have a different mask on at work, but you can't really hide the true core aspects. So you are successful as a human, Marilyn. And you need to hear somebody tell you that, right? And not just me, but a lot of folks that have worked with you, who know you, friends, family, you've been a great human. And that doesn't mean you've been perfect. You've got it all right. It just means that that lie was not true. The, the therapy that I did, the counseling I went through with a guy named Bob Hamp, who I, I could we link him in the show notes, uh, Think Differently Academy, he's a great guy. Um, he helped me understand that I needed to identify what the lie was behind why I had a block, why I was so angry at myself all the time, why I was disappointed, why I was a perfectionist, why, you know, pick it. And, and, and that's a symptom of something. So when I did the work to go, why? Well, I don't know. And he took me back to as a childhood. I remember I was seven years old. I remember my father saying, you'll never amount to anything. I remember those words. And I remember being seven when that was said. Well, that's not true. I mean, just patently, it's a not true statement. 
But I didn't have a way to receive that as a seven-year-old under, you know, your brain's not fully developed. You're still learning. And this is your parents telling you this. Therefore, it must be true, right? Yeah. So I had a lot of life lived holding onto that lie. So what happened is that lie took root. And then all the weeds that came out of that root were manifest and showing up in all kinds of life, professionally, personally, relationally, friends, family. And they they got the worst of it. Right? Why? Not because I was a terrible human, but because I had a bad seed of 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 a lie planted that was just sprouting everywhere. Yeah. And because I fully believed it, guess what? In spite of not wanting to be like my dad, I still acted out of it because you, as you said earlier, always act out of what you believe. This is welcome to being human. Yeah. So Bob taught me how to identify what that lie was. I remember the moment and we, we pulled the lie out. We pulled the root out and then it was, okay, so what's true? It wasn't enough to just take the lie out. You had to go, so what's true? Well, actually, statistically, I fare pretty well in the testing of my capacity and my mental you know, intelligence, emotional intelligence. I do fairly well on those assessments. So, okay, great. But more than the, the numbers, it was more, but I know who I am and, and I'm, I'm actually pretty good at helping people and I, and I want to add value to others. And I have these things that are, that are useful and it doesn't matter what the number or the rating is. It matters that I understood a truth and that truth was I wasn't not going to amount to anything. I'd already amounted to some things already just by living, yeah. right? And so I was able to identify, replace the lie with the truth. Because if you don't replace it, it's probably going to creep back in. Weeds. You have to yeah. fill that void. Weeds will the, creep the weeds back will come in. back in. Yeah. And, and so you put the truth in there. Now you can, now what comes up is very different. Yeah. So the expression, right, of that comes back differently, much like the DNA thing we were talking about earlier. So yeah, I've come to realize that there were just some truths that were uh, that weren't some lies that were spoken as truth. They weren't true. And now I get to live out of my truth. Well, guess what? That benefits myself and it benefits everybody around me and in my relational spheres. So they get a much better version of Anthony, not because I worked so hard and became different. It's I worked so hard and learned different. I didn't behave my way into a new way of thinking. I learned something and my behavior followed. Yes, because what you have said is, if you change your mind about what you believe and or the way you believe it, then your behavior will follow. Yep. And that sounds really pretty. And I got to believe there'd be people out there who are like, oh, yeah, sure. But you know what? I think you and I are living proof that that is absolutely the truth. If you can replace those lies about yourself with the truth, then yeah. your behavior does follow and it's such a sense of freedom and empowerment it is and it's not this is not the power of positive thinking Mm-mm. right there is such a thing as, as toxic positivity right this is not about just it's all going to work out and it's all going to be great and i'm wonderful and everybody likes being gosh darn it i'm wonderful you know it's not one of those it's it's a hey i do have some issues i want to address why the issue exists let me get back to what that caused that. Let me deal with that. This is hard, by the way. This is not easy. This is not quick. Oh, yeah. This is hard. And then you deal with that and you come forward and you say, okay, so what is it going to look like now? Well, it's not just a force of will to suddenly be different. It's, man, I fundamentally don't believe a lie. What do I believe? I believe something really healthy and really true. Guess what blooms out of that? healthy, true things, goodness. So that's not the positive. That is the result of hard work. Yes. So 
the, all those, and I'm a big fan of therapy and counseling. And I think there's different types. Like I have a, a family member who doesn't do well with talk therapy. I do very well with talk therapy. So he does, you know, um, another type of, of therapy. And so there are, go find the thing that works for your personality and your experiences, but go figure out how to be the, the emotionally healthiest person you can be because it changes everything in your life. It changes your career opportunities. It changes your relational dynamics. It changes your friendships. It changes your family dynamics. It changes everything. And and we all know this is true. You can intuitively know this because if you ever re- like looked at a major holiday where family's going to be together and, and you're one of those like, oh, I don't want to be around this group. There's a reason that exists. Usually because others as well, maybe yourself as well, but others are not emotionally healthy. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's the passive aggressive aunt and it's the um the domineering grandfather or whatever that causes that. And it's like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna go to that. So I don't, I'm just gonna skip Thanksgiving. I'm gonna skip Christmas because it's just easier now. But if you start getting healthy and others have a chance to get healthy, guess what? Everything changes. This is true at work, um, in my work relationships and the way I manage and the way I lead is totally different. And, and if, if anybody's listening to this podcast you know, who's knew me at circa 2000, what, uh, 10, 12 and before, no, I'm sorry. Like if I offended you or hurt you back then, like I just want to say, man, I'm honestly sorry. Who I was, was not a healthy version of myself. And I know there was relational wreckage. I'm aware of that. I've gone back to as many people as I've had a memory of something and tried to make right. And that took a lot of time to do that. Uh, but if there's people I missed or, or or whatever, man, I'm really sorry. And I'd love to have an opportunity to only apologize. I don't need you to see who I am now. And I don't need to prove I'm a great guy now. I just want to just listen and tell you, and I'm really sorry. Because everybody has the opportunity to get healthy, but that doesn't guarantee you just get to walk back into relationship. Oh, That's no. a boundary that anybody can set. No. And it's interesting. I go and see my psychotherapist once a week. It's talk therapy. And intellectually, I understand this. But then there's something more visceral that's deep down inside you. And that has that has to change. Because you can intellectually understand all of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But you have to keep going and you have to keep pushing because there's just sort of a switch that changes inside of you physically. And that's when you know that things are starting to turn around. I fundamentally agree with that because I've experienced it. I remember I said Bob Hamp, you know, Bob, I remember one of the sessions, uh, Bob, Bob also played the guitar pretty dang well, and he had a guitar on his wall. And sometimes when words weren't working, he would just pull his guitar out and just start strumming something and just take some time to let the room marinate and give me time to cool down or process because I was really struggling. And I remember Bob saying, you know, Anthony, if we if we deal with this issue, and I had a particular issue, if we deal with this issue, it's going to open up other issues because you're going to you're going to get to the root of why that's even a problem. And I, he said, but you have to believe that that's possible, and I can't make you. And and, and it's words to this effect, but I remember him saying to him because he said, "Isn't that awesome?" And I said, "No, that's terrible because if I have to question what I believe on this, then I have to question what I believe on a bunch of other things, and now it all comes into question, and now I feel like it's unsteady and unsafe." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, that, that's where it gets really interesting." <laughs> yeah, and, that's where you and, have to and go. Again, Bob, Bob had a great relationship with me, so he could say things like that, and I trusted him. And, and you know, 
from that experience, I remember that day and I remember that experience, a kind of a, like you said, a light went on or a moment shifted where I realized I could see something differently that up, I would tell them, I can prove to you, this is why I believe that I can show you the data. I, you know, cause my brain, very logical. I'm a type one Enneagram, um, strengths finder. My you know, command is one of them. Um, stressed strategic ideation, activator, relator command. Right. So I'm wired to be logical and, and right. And, and until one of the things he said is, you know, you can be right and you can be completely alone. He said, because the problem with being right is not that you're right. The problem is then you need to make someone wrong mm-hmm. and that's not okay. So it's not that being right is incorrect. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying when, when the point, when the purpose is to be right, the damage that comes from that is someone else has to be wrong. And that's really challenging. That's hard on relationships. So rather than be right, could we come to an understanding about what do they believe? What do I believe? And what happens when we don't agree? Can we still be in relationship? And the answer is yes. Of course. But that's that takes some growth. That takes some emotional maturity. That uh, takes some, some EQ, as they would say, emotional intelligence to have some self-awareness about your own limitation of your beliefs and your, your mindset or your, your, your way and, and realize that just because someone has something different doesn't make them my enemy. They're not against me because they don't think like I do. Exactly. They think like they do. That's kind of normal. Well, and I'm sure that the listening audience, Anthony, can draw the draw this together maybe easily, maybe not. But the way you're speaking and the trauma that you had to endure, and I'm very sorry that you had to go through that, Thank you. is reflected now in how you lead. You're an empathetic leader. You're talking about mm-hmm. changing people's beliefs as opposed to that's sort of a Pavlovian dog reward system where, you know, <laughs> we're going to send you on a trip to Cancun, Mexico for a week if you make these sales numbers. But Which, by the way, that could be a really nice reward. It could be. It could be a nice reward. But if that's all you have with that person, yeah. that is a coin-operated person. Yeah. Really, the deepness of the relationship you'll have with that person and the kind of impact they can have on the world, whether it's in sales or marketing or finance or whatever aspect within IBM, if they're only doing it to get to Cancun for a week and you take away Cancun, they aren't doing it anymore. Right. So follow the money, but you can just say follow the motivation, right? Mm-hmm. The what most people reward on is extrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. What I try to reward on is intrinsic motivation. And I may not have a thing to give them materially, right? But what I want to understand is what what motivates you? What drives you? What are the things that mean the most to you? I've got people on some of the teams that I am responsible for who are very much about uh, words of affirmation. And they just want to, if you just show them that, that you see and hear them and value them, it goes a really long way. And then I've got others that if you were to publish something that showed this was their idea and this is what we did with it, that would validate them and they would feel rewarded. You've got others that if I say, hey, we've got some, we use blue points in IBM. I can give them some blue points so they can use that for things inside IBM. And I'm like, so here, here yes, I just want to say thank you. So gifts might be a thing, right? So whatever it is, I'm trying to understand for each person in my span of care, what's your intrinsic motivation? Because I want to take a note of that and I want to understand that. And I, and I want to know how do I best help you find your drive to accomplish this challenging or uh, thing or opportunity in front of us? And how do we get there together? 
because a, a, a friend of mine, a guy named Brad Stahl said, everybody's a 10 somewhere. And I really like that line that that's true. That some, in some capacity, someone's amazing. If they're not amazing in that, maybe they're on the wrong seat of the bus. You know, if I'm going to use a, another business illustration there, but mm-hmm. it's the idea of how do I understand what drives them? What's their intrinsic motivation? And if you can tap into that, I mean, it's, you don't do this to get better performance, but a natural byproduct of helping someone feel seen, heard, and valued is that you get better performance, right? I don't do it to get that. I just know that's a, that's an automatic. So I know the happier and healthier and more communicative we are and the better that they see ch- my feedback leading to change and me supporting them and our teams coming and rallying around, the better we're going to deliver not just outputs, but more importantly, better outcomes because we're constantly asking each other why and why not constantly. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's, it's really easy to get into a rut of performance, right? We've got to achieve this number. You got to do this thing. We've got to turn the, got this deadline. Those are all true things. Great. Great. Are we doing the kind of things that get us there? And, and, and a very simple example of this is, and it's oversimplified on purpose for the, you know, for everybody, but it's, if you just want to make a different and more efficient bike, um, you can optimize a bicycle to a point. I saw one recently where it's it looks like an elliptical where you slide your feet forward and backward and that it goes into a gearing system. And so you don't pedal, you just slide. And so there's no impact. So someone optimized a bike. And some would say that's innovation, but I think innovation happens when you actually went from a bicycle to um, you know, a flying car or a rocket ship. Like it's it you went from one lesser mode of transportation into something much greater, right? And maybe that's not exactly fair because there might be a good reason to stay in a bicycle. But the point is, I want our teams to not feel like all they can do is optimize the existing thing. I want them to question if we should even keep doing the existing thing, no matter how successful it is. I want them to have the freedom to experiment and ask, why not? And what if? Because if they have that, they're brilliant. I've got really smart people around me. IBMers are known as thinkers. There's some really smart folks. I am surrounded by some world-class talent. Why in the world would I not want that unleashed? So rather than focus on how do I tell, help them optimize the thing, we should question, should we even do that? What, what could happen if we took the, the lid off? And, and that's where we start to see the teams come back with, well, you know, to do this other amazing thing, it would require first doing these these five really hard things. And then we just got to go to leadership and get sponsorship and go, hey, here's the value proposition. Here's what we think it's going to take. It's very easy for us to keep doing these low wins and, and keep doing the stuff that works, but it's it's just good. We're going to aim for phenomenal. And last thing I would say is there's a there's a lady named Sharon McMahon who who has um, uh, an Instagram account I follow. And, and I think she's on Facebook too, but but she teaches government, Dutch government teacher. And now she's grown this thing where she has her governors. And these are people who follow what she has to say. And she teaches about how the constitution works and how things work in our election system and why it's this way. She's very well informed and she's politically um, uh, unbiased. She doesn't care about the politics. She's just talking about the, the way things work. Well, she got such a big following that one of the things happened was they were going to do a sponsorship of teachers to say, can we help? Because our teachers are underfunded massively. So he's like, can we raise some money? And so can you give a dollar? Can you give five? Can you give 10? And millions of people showed up for this and gave a lot of money. So she's been doing it. She, she came up with a phrase that I now love. She says, I learned that I had reasonable goals right up until people taught me that my reasonable goals were not big enough. 
And now I only have unreasonable goals because my unreasonable goal is to ask, why not? What could we do if we came together? What's possible when you unleash people and you don't say, we only need this much or we only need you? What's possible? And she's now partnered with, there's a company that buys medical debt. And there's a whole, it was like, I don't remember how many, it was like thousands of people had all their medical debt wiped out. And they got a letter saying, all your medical debt's been paid. You, you owe nothing. Wow. This is it's amazing unreasonable goals. That's not the same as a diabolical leader saying, well, I'm just going to put a stretch goal that you'll never hit so that, you know, I'm going to make you work extra hard. That's not what she's doing. She's just saying, if I unleash people to bring their best, what could we achieve? So it's not a manipulation. It is an opportunity to just open hands, right? One is a closed fist. She's open-handed. I love that. I love that too. And so as as a leader, I want to say, I want to have unreasonable goals, right? I want to have unreasonable objectives, not to make it hard, but to say, what if, mm-hmm. or why not? And, and if we have great people around us, guess what? We're actually likely to do some unreasonably great things, but you have to create the environment where that's safe, where that's possible. And we we don't need fear, we need trust. So, and we don't want to confuse those, right? Courage is not the opposite of fear. It's, it's, it's acting in the face of fear in spite of fear, but trust is what happens when you, you know, you watch little kids jump to the pool to their parent. They totally trust the parent's going to catch them. There is no fear. That's what we're talking about. So I'm going to take a bit of a leap of faith here and you can tell me, oh, you are so wrong because I'm okay to be wrong. (laughs) You, you can be right right on this one. I don't care. What we go through, this complex CPTSD, shapes us as humans going forward. So apart from being told I was stupid, when it came time to go to a higher education university, I wanted to study fine art. I wanted to be what was then called a commercial artist, which is a graphic designer, blah, blah, blah. No, you're not creative. That many years later, what I have made my career doing is showing other people who don't feel seen or heard that they are creative Mm. through brainstorming and ideation. And it feels like to me that you weren't seen or heard properly because you'll never amount to anything was so wrong. But you're now looking at your teams and putting zero judgment on their ability and opening it up and being exactly what you had maybe hoped your dad could have seen in you or been for you is that person you needed is what you've become for all of the people that you get to lead in your world. True, but it's true because it was necessary to at first identify why it wasn't true for me for a long time. Yes. So I I had all these goals and I was achieving, they're mostly financial goals, and I was achieving them and I was doing them early. So I was proving to, to him, to my father, I'm going to be successful just to prove you wrong. That's a terrible motivation. Who cares what he thinks? <laughs> you did. I did. You did, of course. I did. That's who. Yeah. And so when I, when I realized that I was successful in spite of myself, right? Quote, unquote, successful. But is it really success when you have relational wreckage behind you? Ah, not for me. No. So I, I had to come to a place where I knew I couldn't figure the way forward by myself because I tried. And I think I'm a reasonably intelligent guy. I couldn't figure it out. And my friend, you know, Bob Hamp said, you don't have to be smart enough. You have to be willing enough to realize you don't know. And I'm, okay. I now know for a fact, I don't know. So help me. 
And being vulnerable and, and realizing I couldn't was the beginning of freedom, right? There's the freedom from something. I no longer want to be a, a slave to this, this, this false belief. But then there's the freedom to something. You can't possibly know what the freedom to is when you start, but you can put a, a seed in of truth and then see what happens. Where I'm at today and the job I'm doing today won't be what I'm doing three or five years from now. I know that. I'm great with that because there is new growth, new opportunities, new expansion that will lead to new paths. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to whatever those are. But I'm not rushing into anything because I know that there are going to be things that just come about. And, and I'm confident I'm capable now of determining what's reasonable and what's good and what's unreasonable and awesome, right? So all those things, I, I don't hold myself back. So the, yes, I, I hear what you're saying. I've, I've tried, and I guess I didn't say I tried. I have become what I wanted in many ways, though I'm, I fall short every day. I've got issues I'm still working through, right? I'm no perfect guy, but, but, if, but if for all the reasons I am closer to that, is precisely because I was I had to be willing to to say what I wasn't and what it was not true and, and and face those hard things. This took years of therapy, years and years and years. So this is not a quick fix. This is not a um a you know a silver bullet. This is just a necessary step to a different journey. And I wanted that bad enough that I was willing to say, okay, what does that look like? Because I can't do this. There's too much not working in my life. I'm hurting too many people. I'm I'm miserable myself. There's got to be a better way. And sure enough, there is. Sure enough, there is. So what I do now is try to say, let me just help you think differently so you can ex be exposed to, so you can explore, so you can come to understand what's possible. And I don't need to put a, a cap or a, a limit on it. The only thing I do is I put boundaries around things. So I don't just say, whatever you want, I don't do that. We still have to achieve targets. We have things we have to accomplish. we got projects with deadlines. And I go, okay, so within this confines, this is the things we don't want to get past. Let's make sure we, we're clear about the, the constraints. But how you do that in the middle, man, I'm really open to you telling me the best way to do that because I'm not you. Here are some standard practices, some things we should do for our teams. But even in that, if you need to modify for your team, feel free. Why? Because I trust that you're going to all work together towards this. And I'm here the entire time to give you feedback and coaching and mentoring on that. And then ultimately, you're going to teach me something. I'm the master at my domain and you're going to teach me something that I didn't know and you're going to make me a better master of my domain. And so the teams have taught me new ways of doing things I thought I already knew the best way to do. And it's an awesome experience to have that level of trust where I know even as the teacher, the guy in charge, whatever you want to call that, but I'm still a student. <laughs> I'm still learning because I can't possibly know the best way to do everything. And I, I don't even try to. I've got really great people. So let's see what they have to say. Isn't that the, the best part? Is the I just learning. can't imagine doing it any other way. Yeah. Yes, 100%. The learning is so rich and ongoing and constant. And I love that. I love that part. And you're right. You're right, Anthony. It's if This is maybe we're making it sound easy, but man. This is the fight of your life for your life. Well said. But it's, you know, in that sense, could it be more worthy? Could you have a better motivation than that? No, that it's a really good reason to do the incredibly hard work. Yeah. Because if, if you're successful in spite of yourself, imagine how successful any of us could be because of. Wow, yes. So this seems like a tremendous time right now, because you were just talking about fear. What does bravery mean to you, Anthony? Just 
shoot from the gut. Bravery or courage, I would use those words interchangeably, is taking action and overcoming the fear or in spite of the fear. So while I'm still afraid, I still take action. That, that to me is bravery. And when you hear about brave people and brave situations, often afterward, they'll say, I'm no hero. You know, you hear about this heroic act. They're like, I'm no hero. I just did what needed to be done. Why? Because they overcame the fear by what they wanted to accomplish. The person they wanted to help, the thing that was important, overrode the fear. Yes. And they did something incredibly dangerous or incredibly challenging, and, and they accomplished it. Now, those are extreme circumstances, but but think about the bravery of standing up for someone at work you see is not being treated right, or standing up to a boss in a, in a meeting because the boss is out of line. I've done this, by the way, and I've, I've got stories to tell. It cost me a job once to do the right thing. Cost me a few, <laughs> but I didn't, I wouldn't have changed it. I wouldn't have changed Correct. it. Correct. I would have stood up and done it exactly the same way because that's me and that's my integrity and I won't stand by and watch something bad happen to somebody right. else. So that's courage. That's bravery. Yeah. The cost is high sometimes, and but it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And ultimately, I, I want to live with myself. So I'm, I'm going to live up to that. And again, it makes me, you know, makes you and I sound like, oh, we're just, we've got it all figured out. No, it's just... But in those moments, you make a decision. Mm -hmm. That's all it means. Mm -hmm. And anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. Yeah. Have you got a story for that one that you'd be willing to share? Standing up, change the names to protect the innocent. Uh, sure. Or, or the guilty in this case. <laughs> I, had, I had a boss at a small company that um, he was bought by a larger company. His firm was bought by a larger company. And I worked for the larger company, but I was put into his division. Mm -hmm. Right? And I and I and that's where I wanted to work. I wanted to work for this guy because from the outside he looked amazing, and so I was very impressed from the outside, and and I was excited to get the opportunity. So I came in. Basically, it turns out that he had a, a massive anger issue, like a rage anger issue, and um and the company that we worked for had some very specific values that were incredibly uh, prevalent. They were, they were top of mind. They were talked about. So it wasn't a, by the way, on some wall somewhere as a, yeah. as a set of values. This was a big part of the culture was, you know, honesty, respect, transparency, you know, all these great things. And another reason I wanted to work there. Well, it turns out this guy was just really toxic. So one day we were in his uh, office and there's uh, five of us, including him in the room. And it's an offsite thing. Cause he had his own remote office and and something came up and he said, why, why didn't y'all think of that? And I said, I don't know. It's a really good idea. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll definitely run with that. I just never had that idea. It's a really good idea. He goes, why do I have to think of everything? And he starts yelling. I said, so-and-so, you know, let's call him, um, you know, Dave. I said, Dave, um, hey, I need you to come with me to the other room. And I just got up and I walked into the other room and he's just yelling in there. And I said, right now. And so he comes into the room with me and I said, before you say anything. You need to lower your voice because this is not acceptable. I understand you're upset about something and I want to get to what that is, but we are not going to do this with raised voices. And he's like, well, I'm just so, which is gaslighting. He's making the excuse that the only reason he has this behavior is because he can't control it. That's not true. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if his wife walked into the room or if his pastor walked into the room or if the president walked into the room, I'm pretty sure he'd compose himself. Right? So it, this is a, he didn't want to. Because he wanted to impose control, power, and authority. 
and intimidation and fear over us to get what he wanted for whatever reason. And so I, I said, this can't happen. So you're not going to raise your voice again. We're going to go back into that room and you're going to apologize to each person individually because this is not okay. And this is going to destroy morale. So you need to go own that you will never do this again. And he was very upset with me. And this went on for a few minutes back and forth. And I said, well, we're not moving forward until that happens. This guy's my boss, right? So we walk back into the room and, and Dave says, yeah, I'm sorry, everybody. And I said, what are you sorry for? <laughs> I shouldn't raise my voice. I said, you're right. What else? Yeah, I won't do that. It won't happen again. I said, great. Now, let's see if anybody else has anything to say before we get started. And they were too afraid to speak. So no one had anything to say. And I said, well, I, for one, feel like we probably should take a break before we continue because we just need to, we need to settle the room. He's like, we just need to move forward. And he just got a little snappy. And I said, uh, well, I'm going to take a break. So I'll be back in a few minutes. So I had this whole thing. There were other emails and situations where the toxic stuff was just blatant and outright. And it was, it, you could just read it. And it's not even like, oh, is the tone? No, you could, it, it was nasty. So I took this to HR and I went to the thing. And I said, I'm not sure what to do because he's my boss. And I, I can't talk to him about it because he is my boss. I have talked to him. He won't do anything about it. So I'm bringing it to you because HR right is here to, to handle this. And I got escalated to the head of HR for this organization. And the head of HR says, well, here's the thing. Dave is, is the head of this company that our larger parent corporation bought. And what they really bought was not the company. They bought Dave. So what's going to happen is if you follow through with this, at worst, he's going to get a slap on the wrist because they're not getting rid of Dave. But you're probably going to be out of a job because he's probably going to run you out. And I said, well, you're HR. You can prevent that from happening. He's like, yeah, but I really can't. And I said, wow. I said, well, I have to go forward with this because there's literally if I, I had the vision and mission stuff pulled up. And I said, We've, he's violated 70% of them. Like, this is, this is a problem. This is not okay. And sure enough slap on the wrist. Two months later, there was some excuse that he was able to use to get rid of me. Um, that, that cost me something, but it was an early time in my healing process because I was just beginning on my healing. So I handled it as well as I could, but I probably could have done it even better knowing what I know now. And, and looking back, doing the right thing was always going to cost me something, no matter how healthily I handled that. But I was still gonna, I was still gonna do that, and it, it did. It cost me a job, and it put us in a financial bind. Um, but that—that's an example of sticking to your guns and and um, sticking to the, what you believe your character. And and I had a truth I believed about myself. Now, so that truth needed to shine or and come through. Or what's the point of all this work? Right. So, yeah, some that's an extreme example, right? I've never had that situation happen again, but. Um, but it can cost you a lot. Other times it doesn't cost you as much. There's been times where I thought it was going to be a really difficult conversation and people say, thank you. It happens frequently. Yeah. I mean, so often that I would almost call it a pattern now where you go have a hard conversation and say, I want to talk about this thing. And what we need to talk about is what's causing this. I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at the thing. Let's talk about the thing. So Marilyn, I have this issue I want to talk about. This is the issue. I've noticed when you this, this, this. Do you feel like there's something causing that? And I want you to realize I'm not coming at you. I'm coming at the thing. Yeah. I'm talking about the thing. Yeah. So that you feel like, well, Anthony, 
the reason that's a problem is that I had no idea, Marilyn. Thank you for sharing that. And then it leads to, and I'm telling you so often at the end of these conversations, people say, thank you. This, this must've been hard. It's really not for me anymore. Yeah. Probably was when I started, but, but now it's really easy because I want the best for you. And I always want the best for you. So if I, if I bring something hard and challenging, then it's because I want the best for you. Yeah. And, and if I'm doing something, I've been told, Anthony, you're to this, you're to that. Okay, great. I won't do that with you. What, what, what are the things, you know, if, if my style gets in the way, I will adapt for you to the best of my ability, you know? And that's a natural part, I think, of being a reasonably involved in touch aware leader is realizing that you, we need to flex for our people and understand what does it take? Because I signed up to be a leader. I volunteered to do that. And, and my role as a leader has nothing to do with my role or position. It has to do with the opportunity in front of me of how do I want to bring myself to this role? Well, I chose to do it as a leader, as a servant leader. So I didn't have to. I could chose to just be a, a manager and get compliance and make sure people do stuff. But I chose not to. So that means I got to go through all the gyrations that come with being a servant leader. And that means I need to back down, acquiesce, give room, give time, give space. Even it's like with kids, with my own kids, it's hard knowing your kid's going to fail at something and letting them fail. It's really hard, but you need to, because that's how they learn. So having that same thing with the teams is, is identical. There's times I'm like, really? The reason I'm having you do this is this. Do you sure you don't want to do? No, we don't. The team doesn't want that. I go, okay. But what we're looking for is this outcome. If the outcome slips, we need to talk about this again. Is that fair? Sure. That's fair. Right. But the, I need them to have the, the, the courage to go figure it out on their own too. I'm always available, but I'm not always going to be the one they want to hear from. Sometimes they need to go experience it themselves. Oh, okay. That's what I signed up for. And, and as you, you know, in your, I see it in you too, Marilyn, this is what you signed up for. You help people by being the most truthful, helpful, empathetic, kind, but clear person that you are. You don't skimp on clarity. Right, you're super clear about expectations and deliverables and timelines, but you can do so in a way that is just for the best of the person you're working with, yeah. not for the best output. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. Anthony, the whole world, I'm sure, is fascinated by what you've had to say, and they want to follow you. They want to be. They want to friend you. They want to become part of the universe in which you're are living. So how do we find Anthony Coppage in the world and how can they follow you and, and, and get to know you a little bit? Well, I have a different point of view. My point of view is everybody's not for everybody. So of the audience who stuck around this long <laughs> um, and then want to connect with me, LinkedIn is a great way to do that. And you can just find me, Anthony, you know, it's linkedin.com forward slash and forward slash Anthony Coppage. And I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way or anthonycoppage.com. I mean, and my website's also there, but, but LinkedIn, I, I love connecting with people. And as you know, so that's, that's a great place. I share a lot of thoughts there. LinkedIn is my number one platform. Uh, the second, or I guess third one would be Medium. I'm on Medium, which is a blogging platform. And I, I put a lot of my thoughts, especially long form, there. Um, and then my podcasts, uh, if I'm interviewed, they'll be posted there. They'll be posted on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on Twitter too. But yeah, yeah I, I don't know. For those who are interested and you want to connect, great. 
uh, you know, there's probably seven or eight like out of this whole <laughs> audience that are like, I really want to know Anthony. Great. The, the, the seven or eight of us, let's connect. Everybody else, you can follow if you want to come along for the ride. Um, but I, I'm, I'm under no delusions that I'm for everybody and, and I don't need to be, and that's okay. But you're very kind in your words and you're effusive in your praise. And I'm, I'm grateful for your friendship and for the opportunity to talk about this. I've never done this kind of deep dive in a, on a business podcast. I've never talked about all this stuff in a, in a recorded format like this. So this is new. And I'm very curious to hear if it's helpful or not. I'm very curious to hear if people have follow-up questions or their own stories they want to share. Cause I'm, I'm really game to listen because this is an experiment. I have no idea. I have no idea how this will go. It's been incredibly helpful for me. And I have never been this open on the 72 episodes or 73 episodes as of tomorrow that will be out there in the world of Breaking Brave. And I know that what we've talked about has helped. So thank you for joining me, Anthony. It's been an absolute pleasure. What an honor. Thank you so much, Marilyn. I appreciate the friendship. Thank you so much for listening. For updates between episodes, I'd encourage you to join my mailing list, which you can do at either MarilynBarefoot.com or BreakingBrave.show. At most once a month, at least once a quarter, you'll receive an update on the latest resources, topics, and information I've found either super helpful or amazingly impactful. That's it for now. See you next time.